series that Buddy started back at the beginning of January on It's a Must. The essentials, the fundamentals of Christian living and the things that we cannot put aside if we claim to be followers of Jesus. And it's my honor today to share with you the continuation of that, It's a Must to Forgive. And we are going to discuss that dirty word of the Christian faith, forgiveness. I call it the dirty word because it's uh, one of those things that sometimes we would prefer wasn't part of the Christian faith. Uh, I'm reminded of a time in my own marriage where we had just bought a van and uh, I trusted my wife to drive it very carefully and she did for about a week and um, at the end of that week she backed into, and this is in Turkey, so the road conditions are worse than they are here. She backed into a piece of rebar, a piece of iron that had just been stuck and pounded into the ground, uh, and she didn't see it. And I don't blame her for not seeing it. Stuck up just enough to put what looked, and just right in the back middle, so that it looked like a plumber's pants had come down on the car. Just a dent right there. And for about two months... I told her I forgave her. I told her, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. It really didn't damage the way in which the vehicle worked. I had been advised by my professor, Randy Harris, back at Abilene Christian University, that when you buy a new vehicle, you be the first person to put a scratch in it so that it's easy to forgive anybody you loan your car to. You know? And so I, I had taken that to heart, I thought. But inside my heart still, I bore a little bit of unforgiveness. You know what I mean. You say you forgive, you, you even do all of the outward actions, but inside, every time you look at that dent right there in the car, you go, man, I actively have to forgive. Well, it only lasted two months because two months later, I backed into a tour bus and put a giant dent in the back of the van. Giant. It was giant because the bus had one of those spare tires on the front, and I backed into the spare tire, and so it was a round indentation right above the crack that was left uh, in, the, in the bumper. And thankfully, it also didn't break the glass, so for about eight years until we sold the car, I left it there. I left it there. I even left it there and got a nice little uh, bumper sticker that in Turkish was hilarious. It said, I am a very striking person. But... but <laughs> Anyway, forgiveness is funny like that. It's hard to forgive internally until you have something to compare. You've done your own damage too. Uh, and thankfully, God recognizes that we are a world full of damages. So much so that from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of our failed existence, God has been forgiving us. It says in Ephesians why, if God forgives us, why do I have to forgive? He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. That was the song we just sang. To God be the glory, great things he has done, so loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life, an atonement for sin, and opened the floodgates that all may come in. That is the story, the gospel story of forgiveness. And God says, you must forgive because I forgave. And not just a little dent in the back of your car. I forgave some serious, serious sins. We might ask, 
Why do I have to forgive? This happens frequently, especially when we begin comparing. And I might have asked that very question. Why do I have to forgive my wife for this dent in the back of the car? I could probably bring it up a few times and use it as ammunition within our arguments and discussions. But I think the question we should be asking, and we don't, is who am I to forgive? Who am I to forgive? So frequently asked, why do I have to forgive? But who am I to forgive is sometimes an even bigger question. And on Mission Sunday, I asked you, I mentioned that forgiveness is the gift, it's the gospel that we have to give to people. God forgives the world for their sins. To illustrate this, let's look at a passage uh, from the Gospel of Luke. There was a man named Simon. He had invited Jesus to come over. He was an important man. And, uh, and probably a very righteous man. Very few dents in the back of his van. Uh, and he's, Jesus is sitting at his table and a woman comes in. We know the story. She was a prostitute. She had lived a loose life. Her car probably looked like my van. Jesus answered Simon... He said, I have something to tell you. He said, tell me, teacher. You could tell he was a good student. Tell me, teacher. Ready to hear the answer. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to the woman, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say, who is this man who can even forgive sins? Who is this who can even forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, forgiveness is an essential ingredient, but in order to give it, we have to know first a love for God. And that love for God comes from an understanding. It's, it's an inseparable, inseparable connection, a cycle of I understand that God loved and forgave me, and so I can live a loving and forgiving life of other people, of myself and other people. It's an essential ingredient, a little bit like this ingredient I keep in my refrigerator. This forgiveness of God uh, is, is something like buttermilk. Have you ever, do any of you keep, raise your hand if you have buttermilk in your refrigerator at home. If you don't, I understand you probably don't bake uh, biscuits and pancakes very regularly. But if I'm at home and I've run out of this essential ingredient and, and my kids want me to make breakfast and I go to the refrigerator and I don't have some kind of sour milk like this, Uh, then my pancakes end up flat and my biscuits end up hard and my kids say something is wrong with this food. Now, now, uh, 
I grew up this way, making buttermilk biscuits and buttermilk pancakes. My wife did not, and my kids can always tell when my wife made the pancakes because it's just milk in there, and they look more like crepes than they do like pancakes. Uh, this is not a criticism of her cooking. They taste delicious. They just don't rise the same way. Uh, in the same way, our lives, our Christian lives, look a lot different when we start removing this in- essential ingredient. We must learn that we are empowered to forgive, just like Jesus did, to forgive people the wrongs they do in our lives. We, we think that it's not our right. We think we must live a perfect life, that God must forgive other people and that we must live righteous lives. But the truth is, is what God wants us to do is live lives that add some buttermilk to our biscuits and add some buttermilk to our pancakes that will rise not on the merits of our own perfect lives, but on the ability that we have to love others as Jesus loved and forgive them with generosity. I want to look at something, forgiveness is so tied to what, what love is that in 1 Corinthians 13, when we look at the passage, and it says love is patient, love is kind, it gets to a point where it says it bears no record of wrongs. And then as Paul comes to the end of that passage, he talks about the three things that remain when we have this kind of love with this ingredient in it. The three things that remain, you know, are faith, hope, and love. And so I would posit to you today that forgiveness is an essential ingredient in all three of those things. It's essential in faith. Let me illustrate this for you for a moment. Let's imagine that you are with Abraham there as Abraham is the father of faith, receiving the message from God. God says, I am going to forgive you. I am going to make a great nation of you, and you are going to be well-known among the people. Your, your descendants will be as many as the stars. And what does Paul say when he talks about Abraham and his righteousness? It was his faith that was deemed as righteousness before God. His faith that God would forgive. His belief that God chose him. Forgiveness and an understanding of forgiveness helps us to be more forgiving, to live a life with greater faith. If, if we don't have this faith, then when somebody harms us, we can't forgive them because we have no understanding of our own forgiveness. Uh, I, I've experienced this before. I've been in a class uh, in a Russian setting, let's, let's say so that we don't feel bad about our own culture for a moment. <laughs> I was in a Russian setting. In the Russian school system, uh, on parent-teacher day, they don't pull you in one parent at a time and tell you, your son is not doing well, which I was not doing well at the time. They pull in the whole classroom, and they have each parent sit where each of the students sits in the classroom. And then they, they get out the grade book, and in front of everybody, they read the grades out. And they go, oh, Mr. Brinley, your son is failing in mathematics. Uh, or, oh, Mr. Brinley, your son is not doing well in Russian language. And, and the more that they tell you, they believe that the more motivated your parents will be to make sure that you study at home and get the right grades. At least that was the tactic that this one teacher used in my homeroom. And, and so my parents came home, and they, knowing the love of Christ and having faith that, that one day I would amount to something, <laughs> they, they said, your teacher did something very strange today that we've never experienced. She must not know the grace that comes 
from Christ Jesus and knowing him. The grace that we put our faith in, that Jesus died and so we are forgiven. And, and when they said this, they also pointed out uh, that uh, I needed to do better in my grades. <laughs> I didn't get away with, with uh, that ungracious announcement of my grades. In fact, I had to buckle down. And so I think that brings back another point of this, that God, when he reprimands us, if we lack faith, when he he tells us this is not the way to live, uh, if we lack faith, our response is hopelessness. And so we begin to lose faith and lose hope, and we begin to live a life that says, that's probably true, I probably am unforgivable. And unfortunately, many of us live in that cycle of unforgivableness. I did bad again, Lord. I know. I'm unforgivable. But that's not how hope works. The essential forgiveness in hope is that I can do better next time. I, uh, I love basketball. I play on Wednesday nights with Dan Burgess and, and some of the other great brothers here in the church. And uh, every once in a while, we win a game uh, when I'm on the team. And it's not because I'm a good shooter. And uh, I was looking for an inspiring quote on, on uh, basketball, just like uh, Buddy did last week. He talked about one of the famous coaches. I would like to talk about Red Auerbach because I'm a Boston Celtics fan. And uh, if Dan Burgess were here, he would shout out for me because I know he is too. Uh, hopefully he's watching online and he'll give me props later. But Red Auerbach, he did a series of videos back in the 60s, back when, when this was new. And he had... Uh, you know, good players come out and show the top hints for rebounding. And the title of his top hints for rebounding first video is learning how to jump with your hands up in the air. Jump with your hands in the air. This was the whole secret to good rebounding is to jump with your hands up in the air. That's what hope is. It's jumping with your hands up in the air. It's an expectant effort put forth. When you know that God has forgiven you, then you have hope that he also forgives the people who are hurting you. And with that hope, you jump up and you hope that this person is going to rebound from this thing that they did to me. They are not unforgivable because I know that they're going to do better later. Have you lived around somebody like that? Somebody like a Barnabas who encourages a Saul. Saul, he did bad. He fell flat early on in his Christian in his faith life. He stood there as Stephen was killed, condoning it. And yet Barnabas, with hope, jumps to rebound a man who God has already redeemed. He says, this man, he's going to do great things, and I am going to take him under my wing, and we are going to serve together. That was the very great thing and the hope that motivated this And that hope was born from a forgiveness and an understanding that it is essential. And finally, love. I I think we had a wonderful uh, seminar last week. Relate Strong is the name of the ministry out of Pepperdine University. And and the um, counselor quoted from the Gokman studies that have been found. They've been studying marriages for several generations now. And they've discovered that there's one essential ingredient to a marriage that if you have this ingredient, your marriage is most likely to succeed. And that essential ingredient is forgiveness. If you can learn to forgive, you can overcome 
any aspect of struggle within a marriage, whether it be marital unfaithfulness, whether it be the death of a child, or whether it just be that your wife put a dent in the back of your van and you're upset with her about it. And sometimes that's the harder one to forgive for some reason, even though the other ones deserve much more grace. We tend to fixate on problems within our relationships, and we tend to burn bridges. Have you ever met somebody like that? They never crossed a bridge that they didn't burn. Every friendship that they had ended because somebody wronged them at some point. Maybe that's you, maybe that's me. We've got to understand that we need to return to those hurts. It's the hard work of life and love is returning and understanding that forgiveness brings about lasting relationship. Peter was one who knew this well. Jesus instituted this love at the end of John when he returns to the one who wronged him, to Peter, and he says, do you love me? Three times he had to ask. Three times he asked, Peter, do you love me? Are you even my friend, Peter? And each time, Peter gave a similar response. You know I love you. You know I'm your friend. And finally, you know all things, Lord. Please let it be true. Have hope in me that my love is real. And in this way, Jesus allowed Peter to understand his forgiveness of him in a way that was tangible. I think Peter might have even remembered earlier on in Jesus' life and in the ministry, uh, as we turn now to Matthew 18, we'll see that Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Is seven times enough? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then he gives this example, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. It was tax time, maybe. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At that, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. I'm not sure how he thought he would do that. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, grabbed him and began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Probably more likely to be able to. But the evil servant refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. And then shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is a hard, challenging truth that we have a burden to forgive. And yet, the amount that we have been forgiven is so great. 
If you don't understand it, think of it this way. Everything that exists, we know, came through the very one who we wronged on the cross. All that exists. I can't make this building on my own, not to mention this city or neighborhood. And there are people who have done great things, built whole cities, been involved in bringing great works to pass, and yet still they haven't even put a drop in the bucket of paying God back for the debt that we owe him and the death of his son. So we need to learn how to forgive well. We've got to figure out how to do it well. It is essential that we learn how to forgive well. And if we do not, we will find ourselves in a similar situation to this evil judge, evil servant. How do we do that? How do we forgive well? Sometimes I think I wish I knew because I get cut off as I'm driving down the road and I'm reminded again of how hard it is to love people. Well, Jesus gave us some very clear instructions, and every time we look at the stories of forgiveness, it's always remember that God forgave you first. Remember that God forgave you first. Remember that God forgave you first. To forgive well, we the forgivers must know that we have been forgiven. God forgave you. He loves you. It's forgotten. He's thrown your sins over his shoulder. They're cast into the depths of the sea. The offender, the person who has hurt us, must know that God forgives them. Have you ever done this? Somebody has harmed you. You haven't told them they harmed you, but you just held a grudge, and they don't realize that you're angry for some reason. You're just angry, and and they sense it. They perceive it that you're angry at them, and your relationship begins to spread apart because of your anger, not theirs. They're the ones who offended you, but you're the one causing the distance between you. In order to forgive well, the offender must know first that you are hurt and angry. And many times, I let this go too long. I get to the point where instead of asking them, you know, to be apologetic, I have to apologize. Have you done this? Somebody hurt you, and you at the end of the day are like, I'm really sorry, I've been holding a grudge all day against you because you did this thing to me. And I need your forgiveness now because I let it go way too long. Be quick at times to admit that we have a need, that our need is to be known to the people around us and for them to be forgiven by us at times. Have you ever tried to forgive somebody who who doesn't believe they've done you wrong? It's like trying to catch a wet or oily pig. You know, just grab it and gets away. I've done that before. I said, you know, you really hurt me. And they said, oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. Uh, and, And it becomes almost offensive to try and share that you've been offended. Well, sometimes that's because the attitude with which we go is condemnation and not forgiveness. When we go and we say, you did me wrong, that person understands that we're judging them. When we go to a person and say, man, I'm hurt person says, what's wrong? Did you bump your head? I bumped my head just yesterday. Andy and I were in the kitchen. I reached down to get an egg out of the refrigerator. I smacked my head right on the refrigerator door. I said, that's going to leave a mark. It's probably bleeding because I'm preaching tomorrow. And, and I was just joking, and Andy said, no, you, you are bleeding. <laughs> You're bleeding. <laughs> so then I immediately went and got a, a little bandage, and thankfully it heals. That's another forgiveness 
of God, that our bodies aren't damaged for one moment and for always, but that God allows us to heal is a forgiveness. So in order for the offender to be forgiven, well, they must know that God forgives them and that because God forgives them, we forgive them. The forgiver must trust God to judge. This one is essential in all situations and especially in ones where when we want to forgive someone, they don't want to accept it that they even did anything wrong. If we accept that God will judge and that God forgives, then we are free to say, I forgive you. I am not going to hold this against you, and I'm going to live in freedom. It is the one thing that we can do that frees us from the evils of the world to forgive well and to put no stipulations on our forgiveness. I forgive you even if you don't repent, because when I forgive you, I become free of the responsibility of judging you. And that is a heavy burden. To judge somebody else is a huge burden because when we judge somebody else, we put ourselves as a standard. We do not want to be the standard by which the world is judged. When we are, everything comes up short. Even we ourselves come up short. And finally, In order to forgive well, both parties must live with great expectations. And as an example of this, uh, I want to read a passage, and then I want to tell you a story about an amazing woman who had the capacity to forgive way beyond anything that I am able to do, and I aspire to one day be as great as her. Uh, if, If not Jesus, then this woman, I believe, is a great person to put before us. Um, Being forgiven by God is the very essence of, of the gospel, and here it is. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, therefore, uh, shall we be saved through his life? This woman that I want to tell you about is Corey Ten Boom. Now, many of you know the story of Corey Ten Boom. She and her family were harboring Jews during World War II in their home in Holland, in Harlem. And uh, they were arrested. They were discovered and arrested and put into a concentration camp. And in her writings about that time, she talks about uh, the way in which they suffered. And they were treated as animals, not as human beings. They were paraded around naked in front of their guards. They were treated horribly. But after the war ended, and unfortunately her sister, who was her companion throughout all of this suffering in Ravensbrück, she died just a week before she was liberated from this camp. So she had lots of reasons to be unforgiving towards people and unforgiving even towards God. God, how could you let me go through this trouble? She did not harbor resentment towards God But she struggled like you and I with forgiveness at times. And yet, she found this very essence of the gospel to be true. Let me read to you a short excerpt from her life. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, she writes. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken 
moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, collected their wraps. In silence, left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravenswood concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. Fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from you, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? She writes, I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? Could not have been so many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. And since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. No matter what the physical scars, those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there cold, she says. Until finally, woodenly, she obeyed. She lifted her hand, extended it, and she said it was as if God, his spirit, radiated through her like electricity as she shook hands with that man. 
She said, forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And then she said that she never knew God's love, the love of Christ, so deeply as in that moment when she obeyed his command to forgive and saw, instead of her captor, a brother forgiven. That is a standard that I place for my life, that if somebody were to harm me on that level, I would have enough exercise and practice in forgiveness that I would be able to make that decision, even though I didn't feel it. It is true that we do a lot before we feel it. It's not faking it. It's obedience. It's deliberate. Forgiveness is deliberate. We intend to do it. And if we do it well, we find great life in it. Some of you are holding on to unforgiveness today. Maybe you haven't forgiven yourself. Maybe you haven't forgiven somebody who's hurt you. Maybe it's a horrible cycle of both. Today as we stand and you're invited to respond, I want you to know that, that there are going to be elders and ministers who are standing at the intersections of the, of the different corridors here. And you are invited to come forward and to be prayed for. Know that God forgives everything. His grace is unconditional. And our forgiveness of you is also unconditional. We judge no one in this setting, and we know that we are also not judged before the Lord. So please stand as we sing. I also would like to let you know there will be a baptism at the end of this time. Um, So please come and prepare yourself for that. Uh, Elders, ministers, please come forward and and pray with us. And um, let us sing.